So if I could give you one more, building on that, one more word of advice, which is the absolute foolproof formula for unhappiness in life is to make your personal happiness your goal. I can guarantee you that you will not be happy. Welcome to the Four Fires Podcast, where we talk about winning in all four of the essential areas of life. Leroy, the where I want to start the conversation is I've known you from afar. The first time, I don't know if you remember this, the first time I ever met you was in Kenya. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But that's been a long I mean, time back ago. in a, that's a back at a board yeah. meeting that was happening in Kenya, you are an influencer for a lot of people who I deeply respect. And when I ask people uh, that I respect, hey, who do you know over 60 <laughs> that seems to have be living a four dimensional life? Those people name you as a guy who seems to be living pretty intentionally in all four of those areas of your life. Maybe introduce yourself to the audience and give us an overview of what station of life are you in? <laughs> what have you done professionally? Yeah, just what, who is who is Leroy Lawson? Oh, well, I have to start by saying you hang out with the right kind of people. <laughs> You, you're naming some, I have good some, friends. Yeah, you're naming some really good ones. Well, you wanted somebody over 60. You got somebody way over 60. I was kidding a moment ago that I'm almost twice you. You're 45 mm. and I'm 85. So yeah. uh, that would be awfully close to 90. I, I'm, I'm noticing that more and more. I've done a variety of things with your friends. The connection is CMF International. I, I I became associated with CMF 60 years ago. Much of that time I was on the staff or on the board or for a little while on both at the same time. So there's that connection that we have. I'm an old-timey professor. I taught at Milligan College back in the 60s and 70s, and I taught at Emmanuel Christian Seminary in the 10s, the 2010s. I went there in 2010, and I left there. Actually, I went there to, as a substitute teacher at Milligan College in 2010 and learned of the possibility of teaching at Emmanuel, so I went there in 12, and I, I stayed there four and a half years. I've been a preacher all my life. I was ordained to the Christian ministry 63 years ago, and then got married in 1960. So, 60-some years in the ministry, 63 years in the marriage. Along the way, I wrote a few books. I think that's it. How many books have you written? Uh, I think it's 31. Uh, the, a few books. The newest one just came out a couple months ago. That one is called um, Son, We Need to Talk. It was the hardest book of all. It's a book about our son's uh, death by suicide when he was almost 27 mm -hmm. years of age. And I was almost that long putting the book together. Hard, hard book to write. But it's out now, and, uh, and I'm feeling okay about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... Uh, you talk about li the life. There's hard knocks in life, yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't always go. It's not all roses. Um, and that's, that's one of the things I think, uh, is important for us to understand as we, as we enter into this four dimensional journey is that we can, we can do what we can do and put logs on fires and it doesn't always go the way that we, it's not always the storybook. So in your 85 years, mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've lived, uh, you are in your working career in in the in your sixty or in nineteen sixties, you're a college professor 50s. through the sixties and seventies in the fifties. Yeah. So 
culture is shifting and changing. Yes. In regards to the four fires, when we think about our professional fires, when we think about our people fire, when we think about our physical fire, when we think about our purpose fire, are there any things that were different in the 50s that were either either helped people more than the culture today uh, or or actually were more discouraging at that point in time to help people walk along this four-dimensional path? Is it the same? Is it as just as challenging today for for a guy in his 30s, 40s to be kind of in, intentional in all four of those areas as it was in the 1950s? Oh, yes. Or or are we swimming upstream differently? Or is, is it the same or is or Well, I don't have the what, benefit what, of... What is the same is we're swimming upstream. Now, mm. we may be going through a different set of rapids, but we're still swimming mm. upstream. It has never been easy. Jesus called us to be in the world, but not of the world. And the truth is the world has always been a pretty... Uh, threatening place for those who really are serious about following Jesus. In fact, my, my conviction has been we Americans are, are um, dedicated to hysteria. We will, mm. we will be feeling hysterical about something, and we have been my entire life. I was, I was held in suspicion by some of my church members because I wasn't a member or uh, in favor of the John Birch Society going out communist hunting and hunting them down. So that those of us in, in professional life, we've always been challenged to take a stand, generally in the wrong places, over the wrong things. We Christians have long believed, in spite of our biblical roots, we've long believed that uh, politics matters more than, uh, <laughs> than the faith. And if you scratch many Christians today, you'll find that they are much more Republican or much more Democrat than they are Christian in their philosophical, mm. theological stance. That's not new. But what has not changed at all is the human propensity to act tribally and to divide. You know, it's interesting when you read the scriptures, um, the Jews consider themselves the people of God and everybody else. So you have Jews and Gentiles, the, the mm. chosen of God and everybody else. We still think that way. The labels are different, right. but we still think that way. And along comes Jesus and says, you know, uh, I really want you all to get along. I want you to get along so much. This matters so much to me that I'm going to go to a cross to prove what it takes to bring you all together. I'll, do, I'll take it on myself. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking it was P.T. Forsyth, minister, who said, unless there is that within me which comes from above me, I'll soon give way to what is around me. Now, that's a really good way to, to... Can you say that again? Well, I'm not totally accurate, but, but the concepts, unless there is that within me, which comes from above me, I'll soon give in to what is around me. In fact, my two, my two goals in, in my old age, the two remaining goals that are at the top of my list, and I guess I'll go to my grave with them still being at the top of my list. The first one, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to love with agape love, the love of, of, the, of the Bible, which is non-judgmental non-categorical, non-qualified. It is love without conditions. <laughs> that is so mm. stinking hard. And, and that, mm. I've already said what my second goal is, and that's because this is what makes the first one so hard, is I'm trying to deal with my, my judgmental spirit. So talk to me a little bit about when people describe you to me, there mm -hmm. is a common word is joyful, 
unjaded and resilient. So talk to me a little bit about, because you don't get to, you don't get through 85 years of this life without getting kicked and without some gut punches. How do we, how do we get to a place where we're in our seventh and eighth generation or eight decade or nine. when we're in our seventh or eighth decade or ninth decade and have people describe us as resilient, joyful, and unjaded. Yeah. Those are, those are interesting words. I think one secret may be that we take God seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. I, I honestly believe I, I do want to take God seriously and I've tried to, but I don't take myself very seriously at all. The two biggest contributions that uh, I would mention, apart from my education, it, that have helped me in the ministry are my two biggest blows. The first one was the, the, the divorce of my parents. After many years of, of a bad marriage, they, when I was a teenager, they divorced. I've gone through a lifetime benefiting from their divorce because that taught me so much. Hmm. And then, of course, the biggest blow of all was when our son, just short of 27, took his own life. Well, just two months ago, the book that I wrote about his suicide came out. It's called Son, We Need to Talk. And uh, it just came out and he died in 1994, which tells you I've had to go back and revisit that, that dark, dark period again and again and again. So you could say it has taken me all those years to become resilient, but that's not the whole story. There was resilience all along. And there were good, good periods and then bad periods, good periods and then bad periods. But overall, the good periods conquered. When I was having a pity party, um, you know, I'm an ordained minister, for heaven's sake. Mm-hmm. I prayed for my kids. Mm-hmm. I lost my son. And mm-hmm. uh, what am I, I going to do with that? Well, I had to, I had to, do, <laughs> I had to do two or three things. One is I had to just get to the point pretty quickly saying, well, it is what it is. So let's be realistic about it. Let's deal with it. And then part of that realistic aspect was this. Did my ordination certificate, I had the certificate up on the wall. Did that say that because I was an ordained minister and I graduated from one of our fine colleges, did that mean then that I would not suffer like Mm. my people? No, Mm. no. I, I wanted a religion of exemption. I wanted it to be exempt from the human races, trials and tribulations. But, but, but the one I serve didn't get a pass. He, he had to go to a cross. He, had to, he identified with us to that point. If I'm going to identify with my people, how can I do that on the one hand and on the other hand ask to be exempt? I couldn't do that. Hmm. I wanted to be a part of a, a religion of exemption yeah. from human, the human condition. And instead, we are a part of a religion that explicitly is inclusive of the human condition exactly right. and the pain and the suffering. Then that is that is the great Jesus model. Is the that? Oh, can I can yeah, I build on a, that one more thing? Please. Well, those of us who are professional clergy, I hate that term. Mm. We we get all bound up with our uh, institution with our building programs and our program programs and our uh, our uh, reputation in the community etc 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 and if we're not careful we slip into and without even thinking about it pledging our allegiance to the institution 
when instead we were called to be students of Jesus. And he didn't spend a lot of time worrying about the budget or meeting with the building committee. Uh, I have a little metaphor that I have just adopted recently in my extreme old age, but I paid attention. I have been paying attention of late to what I pay attention to. And it's really interesting, a guy who's had a career like mine, I built buildings my entire ministry starting in the 1960s. See, most of my life I was in a building program of some kind, either for the church I was serving or the university that I was serving. And of course, all that time I did have to wrestle with, with budgets, with programs and, and personnel issues, etc. All that goes with, with keeping an institution alive. Do you, want to, do you want me to tell you how much time I'm spending these days sitting back in my rocking chair and uh, meditating on how many buildings I built and how many budgets I balanced and how many uh, personal issues I uh, resolved? No, my picture of me, are you old enough that you read, did you read Donald Duck comics when you were young? You're not old enough. No. Oh, this is wasted. No, not the comics. Uh, this is wasted. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and tell you my story anyway. Donald yeah. Duck had an uncle called Scrooge McDuck, and Scrooge. I remember Scrooge. Do you remember Scrooge McDuck? All right. It was a it was a cartoon. All right. Well, then you know but... that, that that he went into his vault and he dived among the bullion uh, coins. And all. Mm -hmm. He had the best time with his money. Lawson does the same thing in his old age. Only he's not diving among the bullion coins or the bricks. He's diving among the crowd of the friends he's accumulated over the years. Part of what I'm hearing, the, the joy piece, you said, take God very seriously, but don't take yourself so yeah. seriously. And I think part of that is recognizing that where we are right now is temporary, that, that this is uh, almost like what you, uh, what you said earlier about trying to live realistically with that agape yeah, love, yeah. like with an unconditional love. If I could live my life really without any fear, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, really without any, like, I don't have to take this seriously because there's a bigger game. Yeah, that we're yeah, yeah. If I could, if I could do that well. When I was a teenager in, in the youth group, we sang a song with eternity's values in view, Lord, with eternity's values in view. I won't go into the rest of it, but, but I've, I've tried to remember that, you know, it, in the mm. bigger picture, what is... How does this matter? It doesn't matter at all. Mm -hmm. For most of the things that in the realm, <laughs> most of the things I get exercised over, don't matter at all. You know, when we talk, we think about the four fires, right? You've got your professional fire, you've got your people fire, you've got your physical fire, and then you've got your purpose fire, and you only get to leave this world with one of them. Um, Good to remember the the health, yeah. the health of your soul, is the only thing that's transferable to the next level. You don't get to take any of your, I mean, should we work? Probably. Should we work and build relationships? Probably. Should we take care of our body? Probably. There's scripture that backs all of those things that, that, that God cares about the work that we do in those areas, but there's only one of them that we get to carry and transfer from this life to the next. Yeah. Or another way of saying it is I am a soul in a body. Mm -hmm. But yep. it's, it's, it's the same point you're making. I, I, uh, I'm so grateful because this body of mine is just really not my friend these days. <laughs> and don't you think we go through a lifetime, uh, at least in my case I have felt, it has taken a lifetime uh, to see increasingly 
accurately who I really am. Apart from my game, unpack that for me. Apart from my game playing, and my my competition competitiveness. Apart from all of that, you know, when I when I am who I really want to be, what am I like? And it seems to me that that's where, at least at least for, for me, that's where Jesus um, grows increasingly relevant for me. I, I really do want to be like him because I've seen all the other options. I've lived long enough to have seen all the other options. I, I can go on and on with that. That can even be applied to our, our foreign policy, you know, etc. What do we have? What do we have that we've come up with on our own with all of our philosophers and politicians and leaders? What do we have that we can put up beside Jesus and say, uh, this is superior? What were the distractors from who you really are in your 40s, 50s? I, I did a little bit of thinking about this when I was writing a book about our son. Um, it, when I was fairly young in the ministry, it's been a few decades ago, there was this very popular pop psychology called the imposter syndrome. Have you heard that term? Mm -hmm. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just simply the fear, of, and it's a fear primarily of people who have kind of peaked early in their professional trajectory. The fear that they're going to be found out. Mm -hmm. They're not uh, what others think they are. They are not living up to the corporation's uh, PR hype on them. I already told you that I started that church when I was when I was 21. Well, I didn't know anything. I, I didn't know anything. And so I ran scared. Well, I ran scared for most of my career because I kept taking jobs that were just a notch above. Now I suppose we would say my, my, my legitimate pay grade. Always a little bit more than I thought I could do. And um, and I, I had that legitimate fear that I was going to be found out. Well, if you live with, um, with that fear, if you're motivated by fear, just as if you're motivated by hate, um, the, the lens gets warped. You really don't see reality. And that fear, or its accompanying hate, has got to be dealt with. I think Jesus was right when uh, he said, perfect love casts out fear. It was Jesus who said that, wasn't it? Somebody important said that and um and, and that's absolutely right the only the only antidote i know to that fear uh, is is love the only antidote to that hate uh, most of us think that uh, the antidote is apathy just not caring no the antidote is is active love well i've already said this but it it has taken me all my life and i'm not there yet to apply perfect love so if perfect love is embodied on this planet by the model of Jesus, and there are people who are early in their faith, what do I need to be doing to craft my life so that, it, so that I, I start to look more like Jesus, so that I start to be able to get to this point where I can start thinking about perfect love in my life or a guideline for me that I found helpful was the little saying of C.S. Lewis's. Uh, he said, in effect, "Don't worry. You, you know, you're, you're told to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't don't worry about whether you do or not. Just act as if you do." And I think in the early stages of our spiritual growth, and later ones too, probably, some of it is a is a deliberate decision 
not a feeling, certainly, love is not a feeling anyway, a deliberate decision that I will, to the best of my ability and beyond with the help of the Spirit, I will act lovingly with love toward my neighbor, even the neighbor I don't like very well. I, I, I will stop, I will stop living in reaction to and instead in proactive, deliberate acts of kindness and of love. And, and that's, that's, a, that, that's a kind of taking charge of my own life then. Because if I'm living in fear or living in hate, I am living in reaction. I, I'm letting what others think, what others do, determine who I am. I don't want to do that anymore. I, I want to be in charge. I want to be able to be proud of me. And most of my life I haven't been. And most of the time, even at this stage, I am still not. But I am at least proud that I have finally recognized what the problem is. So one of the things one of the things we say in the Four Fires community is it starts with awareness. You first have to know that something exists. And then there's ownership. So you have to take personal you have to have agency. You have to believe that you have some ability to control the outcome in every one of these four areas of your life. And then finally you have to exert discipline. Consistently choosing, not because it feels good. But choosing that and what you just laid out around, you just laid out awareness of love, like that love first requires awareness. You got to know who Jesus is. You have to then have agency. You have to choose to love someone and that you have control and power to do that. And then, and then it's that exercise of discipline so that you can be proud of yourself because even though there's somebody from another tribe that doesn't vote like you do or doesn't that you're going to intentionally choose to love them even even though even though and so it's the even though yeah. Libra, i want to uh finish with a question um as we kind of wrap up our time here if there are men and women in their early careers in their early in their 20s and they're embarking on living a life of meaning living a, a life that that matters in a couple of thoughts a couple of ideas what would you communicate to people who are in that early phase of their life a memory i have of my 20s and of course it happened to my son it happened to me more than once in the you know altogether i was post high school i was pursuing my education for 14 years while doing other things i i have some very vivid memories of those times within that period when I really, really wanted to quit. And then in my, in my professional life, even that church that I told you that I started, I resigned every Monday. I just felt so, so inadequate. And I was so discouraged with my own performance. I wanted to quit. And one of the reasons, I, I didn't mention this to you earlier, but I'll, I'll confess to you now, I, I've had a schizophrenic career in that I pursued preaching and I pre, uh, pursued teaching at the same time. The confession is this. I started that church and I almost immediately re realized I'm not cut out for this. I, I can't make it. And I had planned to go on to seminary. I still planned to go on to seminary after I graduated with my undergraduate degree. But I was with the church. I had fallen in love with the church. So I, I pursued a second academic pathway. I took a second bachelor's degree with teaching certification. And the reason was I felt if I flunk out as a preacher, I can teach. Conversely, if I flunk out as a teacher, I can preach. 
And if I flunk out at both what I really am anyways, a grocer, that's what my dad was. So I had it all covered. I cannot tell you how many times in the course of teaching and preaching, I wanted to quit. And I had every reason to quit. And the only reason that you and I are having this conversation today is that I didn't. And the reason I didn't is that the Lord never, when I really, really wanted to leave, he, he didn't open any doors. He was absolutely deaf to my, to my appeals. Lord, move me. I've made big moves, Joy and I have, never when I asked to move. So the first thing I, I would want to say to them, if they're built in any way like, I, like me, don't quit. Hmm. Particularly don't quit when you want to quit. When it seems to be the only way out or through whatever uh, preposition you want to use, don't quit. I'm asked from time to time about marriage. Joy and I, as you already know, we've been married 63 years. And from time to time, I'm asked what is the secret of a long marriage? And the answer is, don't quit. Don't get a divorce. Even in the best of marriages, there are times when divorce is tempting. So if you want to have a long marriage, just don't divorce. <laughs> Figure out a way to work it out, to get through it, mm -hmm. which is what we've done. It's not, that's not very spiritual, but it is realistic. So if I could give you one more, building on that, one more word of advice, which is the absolute foolproof formula for unhappiness in life is to make your personal happiness your goal. I can guarantee you that you will not be happy. Now, I'll tell you how original that is. Jesus said something about he who would gain his life will lose it. He who would lose his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. It's a parallel teaching. It has to do with the focus, doesn't it? And if your focus is self-aggrandizement, self-satisfaction, self-expression, uh, um, if, if the center of your universe is yourself, you will never be satisfied because you can't get the rest of the universe dedicated to that same goal. Well, Leroy, I really, really appreciate your time with us today. It's been my joy. I, I've loved this. It, 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 it's kind of fun just to reflect. And uh, when you've been on the road as long as I have, the reflection takes a little longer. <laughs> to the Four Fires tribe, we are, uh, we are thankful for you guys listening in. Dr. Leroy Lawson, uh, great conversation. Really appreciate you being here. Go live intentionally and take some of this and apply it to your daily life. 